Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Hope you had a good Christmas. All right, this week's guest is a really fun one. I like this guy a lot. His name's Kevin Russell, and he was the guitarist of the band 707. Now, they only really had one hit, moderate hit. In 1980, this song, I Could Be Good For You, reached number 52 on the charts. And that was unfortunately pretty much it. They put out a couple more albums. They were a part of that sort of L.A. scene that was birthing bands, honestly, like Van Halen, Motley Crue. 707 was more in, like, the foreigner camp than they were in kind of the the heavy metal camp. But Kevin is an amazing guitar player. And, in fact, when the band kind of started to dwindle, he began a pretty successful side career as a session man. He's collaborated with everyone from Whitesnake, to Clarence Clemens, if you can believe it. He's a blues man at heart. A lot of his solo material, which we don't talk as much about, unfortunately, is very blues-based. But this guy has stories. He's a character. I loved him a lot. I referred to him as a runaway train because, as you can imagine, with a train, sometimes it's better to just kind of step out of the way than try and stop the momentum. He's writing his memoirs which may be why all of these memories are so fresh in his mind and in order. He's a fascinating, fascinating guy with a deep love of just rock and roll. It was fun to talk to a guy about rock and roll. And this was a listener request. So, Gents Helberg, thank you very much for the request. Hope you enjoy this. Kevin called me from his home in Northern California. So i got to ask you a question. First of all, I, everything I read about you says that you came from Detroit. However, I think I've read someplace that you guys, even though some of you were from Detroit, 707 I'm talking about, you did not come together in Detroit, right? You came together in L.A. and just happened exactly. to be from Detroit. Is that right? Well, How not did that happen? Someone mm-hmm. told me, a mutual friend said that a drummer pal from Detroit had moved to Hollywood, and his name was Jim McClarty. And I said, oh, yeah, I met Jim. Uh, and we played together once in Detroit or twice shortly before mm-hmm. I moved, mm-hmm. the summer of 76. We both talked about how we were going to move to Hollywood, and we laughed about that. And then I had completely forgot that mm-hmm. he would uh, – Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a lot of lot of Detroiters out there. But sure, anyway, yeah. someone told me Jim was there. I was asked to put a band together behind this singer that I had met through another party. 
It was a hard rock thing. And I called Jim to see if he wanted to play drums. And I called mm-hmm. Duke and see if he wanted to play bass, not piano. So that's how that okay. started. We started playing together behind this guy. Okay. Then we uh, did a showcase with the singer. And we did a showcase at SIR Studios on Santa Monica. Mm. And our then manager brought in a guy by the name of John Kolodner. Yeah, to, uh, see us. He was still, sure. Uh huh. He was still at yeah. Atlantic then. Okay. <clears throat> so John came to see us. Said to our then manager on the side, because Duke, I think, doubled on piano for a song or something, or we might have did a song that we wrote. We did a couple of my songs, and might might have done a song with this singer that Duke wrote. Anyway. Okay. Kalodner being the great ears he is, um, mm-hmm. and this is how all this happened, just, just like this. He said to our then manager, get rid of the singer, mm-hmm. move the bass player over to piano permanently, find a bass player, write some songs, and get back to me. No. And, so, and then he said to us, I, just, I, well, there's, I signed a band. And they just released their debut record, and it's a guy from Spooky Tooth. I, mm. I signed the band, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go out to the car and get some copies of this album, and I'm going to give you guys each one, and I want you to listen to it and see <clears throat> and see the direction and 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 take it all in. We're yeah. calling it New Melodic Rock. I go, oh, oh. that band was Foreigner. That yeah, band, we, of course, right? We, Right, we listened to the record. I was blown away, blown away. Just, yes. I mean, I wore it out. I was like, oh my god. And I yeah. love Lou Graham, and I thought, man, he's sure. like, this guy's a soulful cat. He's kind of like oh, Paul Rogers, but he's got his own thing. Mick Jones, well, I knew him from Spooky Tooth with Gary Wright. I'm yeah. like, yeah. So we go. Well, long story short, we showcased again. Of course, Kalabner never signed us. Jim McClarty was rooming with Phil Bryant bass player singer who okay. also mm-hmm. came out from Detroit they were good friends I never really knew Phil in Detroit so oh, okay. I had been going to see Phil play and blah 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 I finally point blanked him on his top 40 gig out in Simi Valley or something one night uh-huh. and I said look when are you going to get serious and join us and start rehearsing with us and join yeah. a band and he's like oh well okay so it happened, and the band, we got rid of that manager. We got another uh-huh. manager. The band was called 747. We were at oh. rehearsal, rehearsing. We rehearsed four or five days a week. We wrote. Four, everybody was writing. Well, Duke was doing a lot of writing, and Jim and I were doing a lot of writing. Jim and Duke were doing a lot of writing, and, and we worked really hard, real hard-working mm. guys. And yeah. Jim and I had a top 40 gig in Orange County that we played five nights a week. So when you say Hollywood, top forty so. gig, are you saying like a covers thing? Cover like, covers thing. That, yep, down okay. in Orange County. So okay. I drove that fight to, to pay bills, uh, and yeah. I, I kept kept it out of town so that seven mm-hmm. seven could be this 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 special thing, and and I didn't want to dilute it by by yeah. playing around you know sure. top forty bands anywhere near the area. Right. Uh, so it, we showcased and we started. Uh, uh, we got a lot of passes, and we started playing around Hollywood. So that'd be the three of us from Detroit. Duke was originally from Portland, I think. Okay, uh, okay. We loved it. His yeah. classical, melodic way 
of writing and his vocals against my pretty blues-based rock soul Mm -hmm. Detroit thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. We hit it off. It was a good blend. It was a really good chemistry. Yet you can't you can't plan for that stuff. It just you guys were so so killer. It's a shame because it just doesn't, you know, that kind of rock, that melodic hard rock or whatever you said, uh, Kalodner called Mm it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't exist anymore. And unfortunately, it almost has like, you know, the the kind of music snobbery, intelligentsia, Mm -hmm. Rolling Stone Mm -hmm. magazine types sort Mm -hmm. of downplay how great it was in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they, they didn't like it. It's like regular people know how good this is. But they have to fight to be taken seriously, and they shouldn't. It's the best, you know. Yeah, it was called all kind of things: corporate rock. It was called, yes, it was AOR, called, you, know, you know, whatever. AOR, yeah. easy listening, uh, wimp rock. It was called all kind of things, and we were arena like, rock. Well, yeah. Guess what? Guess what stood the test of time? Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Guess who's still exactly. selling one? My. My buddies in REO, well, my my yes. motto is a dear buddy of mine, a guitar player. But that tour was huge this summer, Tesla, yes. REO, and Def Leppard. So exactly. there you have it. Yes, there you it have still it. brings them in. So oh, yeah. one of the reasons why I was asking about everybody uh-huh. being from Detroit but not uh-huh. forming there is that uh-huh. I think it's interesting because one of the things we kind of try and cover here is sort is and I don't mean – I hope this doesn't sound you know offensive or whatever, but so many of the people oh. that I seek out for the show – kind of go from nothing to something for a brief period and then almost kind of back to nothing again. Not completely nothing, but that moment in the sun only lasts for a little sliver. So Mm -hmm. there was a time when you were in Detroit and you thought, I want to make it as a rock star. I want this life. I'm going to move to Hollywood and do my best to make it happen, right? I mean, were you chasing your dreams? Well, yeah, you know, to – to be honest about it, yeah. I mean, I started, you know, I come from, my whole family's musical, my brothers and my, okay. and my mom. So I grew up in it. I started playing, I started taking guitar lessons when I was seven years old. Mm. So, you know, and learn to read and, and, and we'll get into all that. But, but okay. so I, I had this, I guess I was always told my mom and all these photographers when I was young and we do these pictures that I was very photogenic and my mom, uh, and then the likes thereof, uh, mm-hmm. as far as family or 
people on, uh, uh, who were, um, uh, you know, entertainers to whatever degree around town. Sure. Anyway, I, yeah. I was always told that I had natural charisma, right? You got the so cheekbones, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and all the, the, the natural stage mm-hmm. presence. And, and yeah. it, it's sort of something that I didn't really – it's something that I refined, John, but it's not mm-hmm. something that I – really let dictate what I would do or how I would sure. do it. You okay. know what I mean, I was a serious mm-hmm. musician and still am. Yeah. So, yeah. so the part about that, I mean, I looked to guys like Jimmy Page, who's a serious mm-hmm. musician, but had incredible mm-hmm. stage presence. And I went, yeah, yeah as opposed to, let's say, God bless him, but as, a, as opposed to Ace Freely, let's say, right? Right, right. So not to say that Ace isn't a serious musician, but, you know, the no, show no, no. is in, yeah. in front of the in front of music. Yeah. So that didn't really appeal to me uh, when I was young. So the rock star thing, I wanted to be a serious, maybe rock musician. Okay. But I went to L.A. for one of two things. And I, I was 21, right, or 20, mm-hmm. just 22, just 22. And okay. I said that I would either wanted to, um, you know, uh, uh, be a hired gun or you mm-hmm. know, join someone established or a big group mm-hmm. or somebody that, or I wanted to be a session guy. I wanted to make records mm-hmm. for other people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the band thing, that sort of just happened. And while oh, okay. that was happening, I was still doing demos. I mean, before 707 did our debut record in 1980, I had already recorded with Kenny Nolan. I did a record with this guy, Rich Fagan. I did mm-hmm. a session, uh, Bob Gaudio, one of the Four Seasons. Bob, I did a couple tracks on the Frankie Valley record. So I was just starting. I was this young guy who was okay. just starting to make some inroads. I did... Soundtrack. But the plan was never a solo thing. You were never, like, you were never going, was that? Was it never like, I want to be a solo artist, and I need a gaggle really. of musicians behind me, and I'm going to be the front man and the, the good-looking guy, and the, well, or was it just like, I want to be in a band with other guys who want to make great music like I do? That's Yeah, I guess that's what happened is I got the bug that I wanted to play in an original band, too, okay. while I was pursuing this other stuff. And okay. that's how it went. I played with a band around town that was mm-hmm. with the management company. Uh, there was a musician's contact service, which I joined. It was on Sunset. And you go in, you pay a fee, and you get to look through all the books. You get to mm-hmm. list yourself, and you get to look through who's looking for what. Nice. You know, who's actually mm-hmm. working, who's this, that. So I put myself out there. I got with this band, and then I met their manager. Their manager and I said, why don't we do something? And that's how the back putting the band together behind this singer came about okay. and that wasn't really my goal although some of my buddies were already doing that from okay. from detroit there but that mm-hmm. really wasn't the the sole goal for me john really okay. i just wanted to be a yeah. working guitar player and make records and i started sure. to get inroads there and yeah. then 707 we started we got another manager we went on salary we started to play clubs starwood we started to sell out. We started on a Sunday night as an opening act. We went from them to a weekend opening act. Nice. We did many, many shows with Quiet Riot and mm-hmm. uh, became buddies with Randy Rhodes. And, nice. and I've known Ru- before Rudy Sarzo was in the band, but Rudy and I go back a long way. Yeah. And so we started selling out the Starwood. We got started nice. playing the whiskey, selling out the whiskey. And then we became the darlings of Hollywood. And this was 1979. 
when that, when the signing screen yeah. was, we were right smack dab yeah. in the middle of Van Halen and the Knack. Whoa. Right? Whoa. That's there an interesting, and you, I mean, your sound is basically right smack dab in the middle of the of Van Halen and the Knack. It's like exactly. you said, the melodic rock. I mean, that's perfect. Oh, wow. We took in yeah, you're in like wave. epicenter of this hot moment yeah. in rock history. Yeah. I'm seeing it all around us. We're like, well, why not us? You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're people, they're, everybody's getting signed, and Van yeah. Halen got signed the year before, but they were the epitome of a hard rock Southern California band. Mm-hmm. And the Knack, incidentally, Doug Figer, rest his soul, mm-hmm. Doug was from Detroit. Yeah. And the oh, Knack, yeah, and here right. was this, yeah, here was a skinny yeah. tie band. And yeah. there was a lot of those at the start. We played with a lot of those bands. Nice. And we sort of, we had a lot of stuff going on on that first record. We had some new wave. We had, so we good. definitely were big. Duke and I were huge fans of Elton. We mm-hmm. just loved the Yellow Brick Road album. We loved 10CC. We yeah. loved uh, Beatles. We loved Queen. We loved, yeah. uh, I loved Bob Seger. I loved Foreigner. I loved Humble Pie. I love mm-hmm. I love BB King, Albert King. You know, it was kind of different. Duke was, uh, you know, he was Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky, yeah. the classics, and he also was, you know, David Gates fan, and mm-hmm. he like, you know, so he was kind of a, you know, softer rock piano sure. singer songwriter guy, mm-hmm. and I'm this Detroit guy, and mm-hmm. we had our struggles. We had our artistic mm. struggles. Really? <laughs> oh, we did. We had some knockdown dragouts. Not really me, but the band yeah. itself, young guys. Okay. Then we okay. got well, we sure, got signed. Sure. Yeah. Huh? We got signed yeah. to Starwood. Casablanca. Casablanca, right? Uh huh. Yep. I mean, so we were like, "How do you guys want to feel about being on Casablanca?" We're like, yeah. you know, and everybody's like, "Well, Donna Summer and Village People." I go, "Yeah, but they got the, one of the biggest bands in the world, Kiss." So we're okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and and I really uh, I knew about Neil Bogart from um, from Buddha, so okay. I knew he was. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we got signed. We did our debut record. Very tough record to make. Uh, oh, really? There was a lot of inner struggles and a lot of, oh. you know, and I'll say it and I'll go on record as saying is that we were victim of, you know, poor management and mm. uh, poor decisions from A&R at uh, okay. record label. I mean, I Could Be Good For You was they had written the album off as dead and we started on the second album. By then, the inner struggles you know, young guys, a little bit of recognition mm-hmm. we had, and we just, and we parted ways with Duke and with our then manager, mm-hmm. and they went their way, and we got new management, um, which yeah. was, was not, it was not a wise move at all, and, and they, yeah, um, it was bad for the band. They were completely well, ill-equipped. And so let so, me ask you this, yeah. and you can be as honest about this as you want, 
But okay. Casablanca at that point is also oh. like the a den of iniquity in terms of you know what I mean, like yeah. partying yeah. and drugs and all the stuff that seemed so fun and so great at the time, and now we know was you know destructive. It was insanity. No, it was complete insanity. And most and you people guys were not were immune to, to this, I'm guessing, right? No, well, I mean, not everybody in the band was <clears throat> went okay. that way, but but okay. uh, I I will say that I am uh, uh, the grace of God. I've got yeah. um, just coming right up on 26 years clean and sober. So oh, there you go. I, nice. I have memoirs, and I've been working on a book for about four years called "My Blue-eyed Soul: uh, My Life as a Guitar Slinger." Killer. And there's and I, you know, I say it all. It's it's mm-hmm. all going to be in there. Okay. And um, forthcoming awesome. about it, and awesome. uh, my wicked, wicked ways. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, we we didn't we didn't know. I was young. I, you know, the truth did? of the yeah. matter is, uh, we really thought that the older people around us really had our best interest at heart, John. And that's mm-hmm. true. We were young. We were in sure. our twenties, man. We were just young guys, yeah. and we were being fed all kind of stuff. And then people whispering in certain people's ears, and you know, you're mm-hmm. the golden boy, and blah blah blah. Sure. Meanwhile, you know, feeding those that took part uh, mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol, and, you know, and so we were pretty. It was pretty tough. We yeah. And then we had to make the second record, and. player and we had, written, we had written uh you know maybe about a third of that record while duke was still in the band it was mm-hmm. a hard decision we did it we soldiered on uh casablanca wrote the first record off as being dead and we'll continue on even after uh the single no starts getting they did traction? not know they did not know that i could be good for you was getting traction they had no idea Really? So, radio so that's station. just getting traction. They they decided to bury the album. They no, they aren't. The album. There's no synergy going on here where it's like, ooh, we're getting some lift with our single. Let's put some more promotion into the first album. No. No. So somebody, I think from KC, St. Louis, or maybe Kansas City, somewhere said, got a hold of management office and said, you know, we're breaking this single here and every time we play it, the phones light up and mm-hmm. it's great. And then Detroit jumped on it, took it to top 10 and of course. Oh, then a bunch of markets jumped on it. Well, Casablanca, then they're scrambling the A&R department and then they yeah. pretended like they knew. They didn't know. And, yeah. and we were really, uh, um, you know, really confused by all of that. Of course. And so here we are. Now we don't get to tour. Well, our first tour we did, 
we had both record. We, we the first time we ever really toured, we had two records out. Now, the kicker of that is in the retail outfits uh, outlets, excuse me, which used to be <laughs> record stores, mm-hmm. uh, d- weren't getting the product. They weren't getting the records. Yeah. So now we're touring. So frustrating. Our first tour, we sold out clubs everywhere. Then we graduated to opening at bigger theaters. Then we graduated to headlining theaters. Mm. Then we got on the Ario Speedwagon High End Fidelity tour. There you, oh, you opened for them on that tour? That old tour. So that was the biggest oh, tour. Oh, killer. Right? Oh, right? man. Yeah, yes. right? That was a big year, 707, uh, yes. Ario and 707, right? The three letters yeah. and the three numbers. It was a great tour. Here we are playing... We, I kick into the first that opening riff of "Good for You" by myself, mm-hmm. center stage. The arena goes insane. Nice. The first time that happened, I was like, "Oh my God!" They yeah. they know it. They know dreams it. are coming true at that point, right? right. This is what you right. have wanted yeah. wanted and worked for. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got to go back to Detroit and play Cobalt Hall, where I used to go watch uh, all of the other bands and say, "One yes. day, I'll yeah. play there." And I there did. It is. And, you know, and you did, and and so here we are, and we yeah. we get in pressure. Neil Bogart is suffering from cancer. I think he died at 37. We were off the road. We had already recorded a record up here in Sausalito called The Bridge. Finally came out 18 years later or something like that, right? It came out uh, came out 20 I don't know, like 28 years later. I don't know. Oh, really? Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. So we did and the that record. Killer too. Yeah, we did that record, and then we found out that Neil was everything was frozen, assets, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, Casablanca, blah. So uh, we go over to Boardwalk Records with Bruce Bird. And but then, Neil did that one too, right? So didn't did he bring you to Boardwalk? Because if he did, I'm finding it interesting that he didn't invest more time and attention into your career at Casablanca, but then yeah. agreed to bring you to his new label when he. It's like, it's crazy. But I don't understand Bird, why he if he wanted think, you to come with him, why he wasn't helping you earlier than that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was all mystery, and I think he was kind of ill towards. Yeah, and part two, and I think he was sort of, you know, mostly absent. So we go over to Boardwalk, and now the new A and R people at Boardwalk had nothing to do with the bridge. They're not feeling yeah. it, right? So they go, "We'll pay for a new record." Oh, by the way, we have this title track of a film we want you to do. Ah, uh, yes. Film was horrible. Very. <laughs> oh, it's one of the best. Bad movies ever, though. Ever, right? Megaforce. 
meeting. They set up I love meeting. it. Yeah, they set up a meeting with us to meet with Keith Olson at his house in Brentwood. So we all go down and meet with Keith. Now, Keith, now you have to know at the time, 1982, 82, Keith's probably, you know, easily one of the, if not the most, the hottest producer at the time. He's uh-huh. burning up the chart. He's got Benatar. He's got Hagar. He's got Rick Springfield. You know, yeah. everybody. He's, he's hits after hit after hit. So we go meet with him in his house, and we watch this little clip of this movie that we're supposed to. I'm like, oh, my God, right? Really? I'm like, okay. It was just so cheesy. But anyway, so Keith's going to produce this single at his studio, Goodnight L.A., we were just doing what we were told to do, John. You know, they were telling us we're doing this. Sure. And management's telling us we're doing this. There's all kind of side deals going on all the time. Well, the prospect of being attached to a big movie, even if it's not very good, is still sounding promising, right? I mean, that's good, decent yeah. exposure. So At we least you're thinking well, it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. So we go, okay, and then, you know, we don't know. Money's changing hands. I don't know. Everybody around us is... You know, I don't know. Management's living in Beverly Hills, driving a new Seville. Meanwhile, we're in a, in, in a little apartments in Sherman Oaks and in the Valley, struggling to pay rent. And so, uh, I right. don't know. You know, this is going on. Yeah, we come off the number one tour. Uh, I'm still broke. So, <clears throat> you know, I mean, here's here's what I'll say. That Even man, after REO's high infidelity, you're still broke. All that, all that, all that. Oh. And what would become Monsters of Rock? We were on those first bills that had, you know, really? five, six acts. We were on with yeah. Lover Boy and John he, uh, Cougar then, uh, Mel oh. Camp. We were on with Rainbow. Yeah. We were on with 38 Special, Lover Boy, Nuge. Sure. We, 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 yeah, we were playing baseball stadiums. We went on first. Rainbow went on second. And so. I have an interesting story with Richie Blackmore, I'll tell you. And Ooh, tell so me that. here we go, you know, um, that band, I'm going to say 707, it's just all VH1 behind the music stuff. But we, we weren't going to survive, John. You know, from day one, we just, too much greed, too, yeah. too much pe- people that were supposed to have our best interests had their hands in all the pockets. Money was being uh, taken on our behalf, uh, budgets. I mean, we're a little band. We're we're a band who comes out of the Starwood on Santa Monica mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. clubs. We get signed out of there. Our we get well, a five so record crew. That, you know, yeah, they went we big. get a five yeah. record deal, and our first record, we get, I think it was a hundred and fifty thousand. Unknown okay. band. Who who gets that? Then yeah. that money. Then right. we're talking nineteen eighty money. Yeah. Did 150000 to make a record. Well, you know, I know the producer didn't cost that much. I know studios, mm-hmm. we, they, bar- they bargained around town. So what I'm saying is, yeah. you get it. You get it. Yeah. Everyone else around us was living large, but we yeah. weren't. And yeah. so, you know, it's the same. We, we weren't going to, we were set up to fail. Because mm-hmm. um, the record label, they had whatever they had going on. Then we get pressure. We got to get a lead singer. We gotta have a focal point. We're like, what? Right. Because you, you guys are all we're, sharing vocals, right? Yeah, we're like, uh, yeah, like the Beatles, like Chicago, like the Eagles. Um, <laughs> we got multiple singers. Yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. Doesn't seem to problem you for want, them. 
you want Steve Perry, you want Lou Graham, you want mm-hmm. what everybody else has. You know, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, these record companies, sure. they all wanted whatever they want one of what everybody else has or two. So we auditioned and we settled on Kevin Chalfant. And, and God bless Kevin, but he was he was never right for the band. And so he was only in the band about nine months or something, and did and did the second tour with Ario, the Good Trouble tour. We did the Megaforce yeah. album. I didn't know it, but the band was breaking up on that tour. Mm-hmm. We were falling apart mm-hmm. on that tour. And I just, the management, it was, it, you know, everybody was at odds. And it was just horrible. The finances were horrible. Horrible decisions. We weren't going out and playing clubs and yeah. headlining when we should have been earning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were tucked away. We were moved at the height of whatever success we had, especially in Los Angeles. Now, it's really nice to be popular in L.A., nice to be sure. popular in Hollywood, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And we had, everywhere I went, we had a rep, and it was good. Well, mm-hmm. management, take that band and bring them to Marin County and relocate them at the height. You know, come on, Uh-oh. shit like that. I mean, well, stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? Poor decisions. Well, we were like fish out of water up here. Yeah. And yeah. everybody left. I stayed. I had kids, you know, but... Um, mm-hmm. You know, so this isn't weird. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Because everybody we met up here was established. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first band we met yeah. was Starship. I'm still buddies with Vicky Thomas. I just talked to him uh, yesterday. Oh, you know, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, a good buddy. But, I mean, met mm-hmm. him and Journey and Santana. and Think about mm-hmm. it. I mean, everybody. Yeah. And then here we are. We didn't have any bands like us. And then no. we're like, I, and I was just starting to get session work too, but I see the whole thing and I say it and it's in my book. And so I know that it was very insecure on management and they wanted to get me out of town because they, you know, for this fear of, uh, hmm. I was being courted and asked to do sessions and I became oh, really buddies with Steve Lukather. I'm still buddies with Luke. I just saw okay. him last month and we've been very buddies nice. for 30 some odd years. Yeah. And, uh, Luke was helping me around town and, and they and they saw it as a threat, and so you know that's the truth. Get me out, Jeez. and and the band implodes. So divide yeah. and conquer. What? Nothing. So what's the yeah. aftermath of this? So seven oh seven, which you staked your hopes and dreams on, and you're thinking uh-huh. you're getting all the exposure you could want. It's still not working. What come when you wake up that next day? What do you do? Do you beg for session band. work? Do you ever have to band. go get a, a regular job? What do you do? Well, the band imploded. I was uh, really, really depressed. My buddies all left yeah. and went back to Hollywood or San yeah. Diego, Todd's case. I was left up here. I was very depressed for um, a while. I didn't want to get out of bed. That's the truth. And I felt, uh, you know, I, my my club, my boys, something that I was part of. I mean, I say my, I was married. My first marriage, I was you know, my, uh, 15 years married, together mm. 19 two children. Mm-hmm. But my real marriage was the band. Yeah. And and, mm-hmm. and that hit me harder, that divorce yeah. than my than my, my divorce with my ex. I believe it. I mean, mm-hmm. That really it, so what did I do? I said, well, I gotta fall back on what I know and what I know is mm-hmm. I'm a guitar player and what I know how to do is I can play a lot of different styles and mm-hmm. I know how to read. And so what I did was I went to a used, it's all true now, <laughs> all, in the memoir, all in the memoirs too. I went mm-hmm. to a used clothing store, bought a used tux 
and I made a few calls, answered a few ads, or I had a couple buddies that I knew. I put the word out. And of course, just sort of my track record got me in. And plus, these people couldn't believe that I was even showing up for this stuff. But, you know, but they yeah. don't know. If you right. haven't been there, you don't know. You don't know. Right. So I knew that I had to eat. So I joined a wedding band in San Jose, living in Marin County. I won't play Marin or anywhere in the Bay Area doing that. So again, I go to I go to San Jose so I can keep my other uh sure, uh, you know, remain perception. a little bit right? Well, my my father always used to say, you know, your business is 80% perception of what you're doing, son. Mm-hmm. So the perception mm-hmm. is I wanted to, you know, I'm I'm, I'm getting something going, right? I'm getting blah blah blah. So that's what yeah. I did. I played boat cruises. I those those fleets, those cruises around the bay out of Jack London Square mm. too. Wow. I played weddings, bar mitzvahs, stuff that I started doing when I was a kid with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I got paid for it. And then I that was eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. I got a call to come play with Billy Kreutzman. Brent Midland and Dave Margan, yeah. who's playing bass with Co- Santana. Kokomo or something like Kokomo, that? Kokomo, right? Right, right. I'm right in I mean, how does that happen? Well, I knew Dave Margan. I okay. met Dave um, playing around, and he was playing, because he, I guess he was out of Santana at that time. So he was playing okay. some, some casual gigs, too, and jobbing around, doing what he could do, freelancing. So we ran into each other somewhere. And he said he called me and said I knew nothing about the dead other than the obvious, you know, what I heard on the radio. I live in San Rafael. I mean, I live maybe a mile and a half from where they rehearse. I don't even know anything about. Oh, perfect. Street. Yeah. So perfect. I go in, and here I am, and then I meet Brent, rest his soul, and uh, I we got on well. To me, you know, so I was like the running joke was. When I stayed and all the guys in 707 left, they said, "Yeah, one day you'll be playing with with a granola band up here. You'll be playing with you'll be playing with the, with that dead band one day." Kid. <laughs> and, and I la- we all laughed and go, "Yeah, right. You know, we're we're we're, hey. we're rockers. Dude. It's never gonna happen." Well, there I go. And, and so we toured, we t- we toured that summer. Around the same time, I met Earl Slick in the 70s. Hollywood, and really, I met Slicky. He had just got done with Bowie. Oh, uh, did you ever meet Bowie? Got done with Bo- and he put his band together, Silver Condor. That's what it was. And he just he was oh, okay. big, he loved Seven O Seven. He used to come see a Star Wars. So Slicky and I became kind of buddies around town. Uh, both Italian, both guitar mm-hmm. players. We kind of we we you know we we we, we got on. You know, Slick was a New Yorker, take no bullshit. I'm definitely a Motor City boy, take no bullshit. <laughs> so we, you know, we, we got on. And uh, he had called me as I was winding up Kokomo and said, hey, Kev, uh, I put a band together with Slim Jim and Lee from the Cats because, you know, the Cats broke up. I go, yeah, yeah, I heard Brian Zutzer's on it. has got his own band. And they, they, he goes, yeah, so I put trio together we did a record but i'm looking for a guitar player to tour and then may and then you know look towards writing a new record and stuff but we're going to go out and i need you know i don't want to do a trio and uh you know do you know anybody or what do you think i go i go well 
I might be interested. He's like, really? you? Really? I'm like, yeah, send me a cassette. Cassette, right? So he sends me a tape. I love Very Stones, you know, that band. And they had some bubbling on MTV with Men Without Shame. Sure. Love those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went down to Hollywood. Slick picked me up at the airport. I went and stayed with Slicky at the house and his then wife and his little kids. And we had a lot in common. Our kids are the same age. And we had been married the same length of time. And uh, we both bought our wife's Oldsmobiles for, you know, four doors for the kids. Yeah, no, it was really funny. No, we were dying. We were dying. He's in Sherman Oaks, and I'm up here. So. Uh-huh. I stay with him. We go one rehearsal. We hit it off famously. Love it. We're getting out. Boom. Done. So right. I'm in. So I'm with the band almost two years, right? We toured, come back, did another record, toured. Uh, now, do you play on the records? Because and I, not to, the second I want to hear these stories. Okay. Because one thing, and I'll just say this, I in researching you, I see uh-huh. all the names of the people that you played with. Uh-huh. Listed, but I'm I uh-huh. can't tell if you toured with them or if you're actually no. on the albums, like the White Snake albums and Nils Lofgren and Ted Nugent and Clarence Clemens right. and all this stuff. Right. Are you actually playing on these people's albums? Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So Phantom Rocker Select Cover Girl to write. I wrote yeah. about half that half that record, played on the record. Okay. That happened. Then the Ted thing was early. That was Penetrator record. That's where I met Brian Howe, and I'm still buddies with Brian Howe. So 
uh, I was I sang on Ted's record. Nobody plays guitar on Ted's record, but Ted. But Ted and I, you know, right. we go back a lifetime. We have we have the same guitar teacher in Detroit. So uh-huh. Ted and I, yeah, seven oh seven, the Rockets and Ted. We did a Detroit, you know, guitar Detroit tour uh, in eighty two too. We did okay. that around the Midwest, and, and so Ted and I reunited then. And, and I just talked to him about two weeks ago. He texted me. He was sitting 12 feet up in a tree in Michigan. He's, he lives in Texas, but he's hunting in Michigan. He was hunting. He texted me from a tree. That's like too, too funny. But anyway, great. So, you know, all this other stuff aside, I know this other part of Ted that, that most people don't know because he has just the, the nuge persona, sure. the motor I know. Well, I, I, he's Teddy to me. I, yeah. I'm young yeah. Teddy, you know, so he, there's, you know, we're, we, we communicate yeah. at that level. Good. I actually have a lot of respect that. for Ted. No, I know no, he rubs people the, the wrong way. I love the guy a lot, and he's a, he's a yep. good guy, and I know that he gets caught up in all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember telling him, I don't know what it was, a couple of years ago. You know, I go, hey, Caddy, you know that Zappa record, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar? <laughs> he goes, yeah, might be a rumble. I go, yeah, you know, it might, it might apply. You, know, you might want to take some advice. I love yeah. you, but, you know, just you know, play your guitar. So, Great. So you know um, the the Phantom Rocker and Slick thing ends, and then I joined Taxi, my buddies in Taxi, because they had moved yeah. down, or they're originally you know like uh, London, but uh, uh, so they had lived in Portland, right. and they I came down. You had something to do with Taxi, yeah. So I Phantom Rocker and Slick, I made the transition in into my buddies Taxi, and then. We actually did a short run in '83, uh, and the Taxi band. Did? Yes, and the band okay. was Nor- Northern California, and the okay. band was the three Taxi guys: Dave, Jeff, and Colin. Rest mm-hmm. his soul. Uh, and it was me, Randy Jackson. Yeah, that Randy Jackson on bass, yeah. <laughs> and Tim Gorman on keys from the Hood. Timmy. Wow. So, so that was the band. Um, then I got busy doing other things, and they just didn't mm-hmm. have enough going on they suffered same thing 707 did exactly we paralleled poor management record label the bad all bad so they got new management they went with uh, bruce cone who's managed night ranger and uh, doobies forever so they got a new deal on mca i joined the band we did a bunch of pre-pro wrote a bunch of songs and went in and recorded an album in la yeah mca dropped the ball so did bruce cone the band Mm -hmm. imploded I got a call. Can I ask you one question about Taxi? I don't yes. I don't know that I've ever I don't think I have any Taxi albums, but regular listeners to this podcast know that I have a thing with soundtracks, movie soundtracks uh-huh. from the eighties uh-huh. especially that I grew uh-huh. up on. Was uh-huh. it Taxi? Were you guys on the Weird Science soundtrack, weird I wanna say? Weird, weird, Is that weird. right? Yeah. Okay. Weird. That's what I thought. That's the main yeah. thing I know Taxi.
call from a dear friend that I've known forever, Mike Clink. I met Mike when he was making coffee at the record plant in L.A. in <laughs> the late 70s or something. And, like, yeah. and he worked on a 707 record up here. Uh, okay. So Mike says, Kev, I'm doing this band. Mike's living in L.A. And, you know, he's 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 I, I know that he did Guns N' Roses and the record's mm-hmm. just sort of bubbling appetite. Right. Sort okay. of mm-hmm. did not real full blown yet, but it's starting to get a lot of traction. And it took a while for that record. Right. MTV mm-hmm. actually those videos were, were re, you know re-released a year later again and then yeah. it, it, it took hold. So Mike, he's doing this what he you know he's doing this gutter band from the strip, and he yeah Guns N' Roses yeah Mike so he said I'm looking for a guitar player. There's a band that I'm working with. Oddly enough, Kev they're from San Francisco. They're a mission mission district band. They're called Sea Hacks, and and I need a guitar player man. I need somebody, Kev, who can play that rock, blues, Joe Perry thing, and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I said, well, that's me, Mike. He goes, yeah, you mm-hmm. think you'd want to do this? And so we talked about it. He goes, 10 days max. Come down 10 days, Kev. They're on Christmas. Mm. Pay you right. Blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, well, two and a half months later, I'm still working on the record. Right so yeah. uh, fixing it. Bass player. Unfortunately, what was the name of the band again? Sea Hags. See, I don't even. I don't know them. Sea yeah, Hags. They what? Okay. Sea Hags. Oh, Sea Hags. H A G S. Yeah, I don't know them. Up there. They were out with the cult for a while. Um, bad okay. drug problem, and the bass player ended up overdosing young. Mm. Uh, he was a okay. nice kid. One of those. Uh, yeah. So Mike did this record, and it sort of blah blah blah. Chrysalis did about all they were going to do with that record. Mike says, Kev, I'm doing another record with this young guy from London. Uh, his his band's called F Machine and Simon Fellows, and it's sort of a cross between Billy Idol and In Excess. Yeah. 
program, I go, well, you know, I want you to do all the guitars. So I worked on that for a long time. He's on Warner Brothers. Mm. And I fly over to London. I do the video. Russell Mulcahy, he shoots the video. Oh, wonderful, legend. Wonderful working with him. Yeah. Was really yeah. Durant, so Durant, Warner's yeah. treated me right and everything. And so then I'm watching Appetite this whole time just go through the roof. I'm watching my buddy right. Mike just go from boom, you know, zero to mm-hmm. 60. And um, I'm happy for him. And so during this time, I can I what are you doing? Can I ask one? Can I interject one thing? Uh-huh. When you uh-huh. in between these gigs, when you're back home up in Northern California, uh-huh. what are you doing? Uh-huh. How are you playing in that top playing. forty band? Are I'm you playing. how are you paying I'm your bills in the in the I'm downtime? starting to play. Yeah, I'm starting to play blues again. Right. Okay. Kind of, okay. and I'm doing solo acoustic stuff. And I'm doing some openings. I open for John Lee Hooker a lot. And by oh. myself, he used to call me High Tops. Hey, High Tops, you know. So here I am, this guy with you know long hair and yeah. you know, Reebok High Tops and skin tight uh-huh. pants, and you know. And I'm, and, but uh, you know, but don't let that fool you, because you know I'm a blues guy at heart, right? So sure, sure. that's what I'm doing. And then okay. my ex-wife is a nurse at times, so we're we're just you know. We're keeping yeah. our bills down and, you know, yeah. you know, not, not living pretty, pretty low key in okay. San Rafael. And okay. um, it's tough and I'm doing yeah. what I can. I'm doing demos for people. Never a people thought hard. to move back down to L.A. to be closer uh, to maybe getting well, more gigs? Or... That whole, yes, I wanted to. That whole time that I was with Phantom Rock and Slick, I was commuting. And okay. some days I, I'd fly home for one day, some day, sometimes two days. So mm-hmm. that went on for long time i commuted mm-hmm. back and forth yeah. I, you know i stayed with slick or stayed at jim's house right. and uh yeah i went on a lot and it was and then there was a tour smack dab in the middle where one time i was gone for three months and so you know that puts a strain on things sure and, of course yeah but i just couldn't figure out a way well my ex-wife was not moving back to la it just wasn't going to mm-hmm. happen she wanted yeah. so that that wasn't going to happen yeah. so I'm, there I am, you know. I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing what I can. And like I say, sure. I'm doing demos for people. I'm doing yeah. like whatever, uh, yep. little gigs. But doesn't White Snake factor in here some, somewhere? So then I get done with the Simon F, the F Machine record with Mark. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I get a call a couple months <laughs> later, <it>. maybe <laughs> a month later, uh-huh. maybe, and Mike says, Kev. Keep this to yourself. I'm up in Reno. I'm working on a white on the White Snake follow up record. Uh, Adrian Vandenberg hurt hurt his wrists oh. for whatever reason. He can't play. Vivian Campbell got fired. DC Coverdale. DC has yeah. no guitar player. I'm like, hmm. yeah. He goes, <laughs> would you would you come up? I'm like, I'm there, baby. So yeah, yeah. I go up. To Reno and DC's with Tani, Katane at the time. Oh, so she's there. She's all that from the video. She's all that and some. I believe it. Oh, no one's ever been hotter than Tani Katane in the 80s. In the 80s. So that, you know, they're, and it's kind of a, it's a a interesting scene. I mean, Mike's my buddy. And all I got is Mike, and I walk in, and it's I can feel the tension, and I'm a, I'm in a pressure cooker. 
I've been yeah. up. I've been up. I walk in, Coverdale shakes my hand, looks at me, and he said, wow, Mike, you're right. Great-looking guy, man. He got So I'm kind of thinking, well, Mike said, you know, he's still looking. Guitar players and bones. So mm. I'm learning these songs on the spot, win over. and I'm charting yeah. these tunes up, and I got, I'm got. i dealing with Adrian. He can't play, but yet he seems to always be hanging around wherever I am. And I'm like, oh, mm. man. And then, but it was wonderful with Tommy Aldridge, who I just absolutely adore his drumming. Sure. Rudy was, you know, great. Yep. So, yep. Uh, and I'm playing, I'm putting down rhythm tracks. That's what happened. Yeah, okay. So okay. I'm carbon rhythm tracks. I get done, I go home, and what I didn't know was DC was negotiating with Steve Vai. Vai oh. had left Roth. So Vi was the you know the fastest yeah. gun in the West. I mean here he, sure. was. he was the yep. gunslinger at the time, right? Yeah. Think think about yeah. think about eighty was it eighty eight? Oh totally, yeah. So think about Vi after Eden and Smile and yeah, I mean he's, yeah. So, so he's the guy as hot as so he's ever been. I go right then. Yeah. to Vi's studio in Hollywood. I fly down. Steve calls me at home and, and, and had really nice things to say. And I went down, but he just didn't want to share the record with anybody else from that point forward. Mm. And so he fin- he did everything. And so was uh, anything did, that you played left on that album? I'm blanking on the yeah, name of the follow-up. Yeah, Snake yeah, album. but it, it it it's a weird thing, and I oh I, I feel uh, kind of weird talking about. Well, there's a couple oh, really? of things I can tell you about these credit things. I'll back up to Sea Hags. Sea Hags. The 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 Liga, he these kind of resentful that I was there anyway, because they were a three piece band, and here I come, okay. and then uh-huh. I ended up doing you know ninety percent of the guitars on that record. Over mm-hmm. now, I fix all his mess on one side of the stereo, and then I create all my parts. Mike oh, and I yeah. are working alone. He sends the band away; they're all junked out, and I'm in there. Mike and I, hours and hours, just me and Mike sitting behind the council with the Les Paul man, and the Marshalls out in the studio going over and learning these uh, Carvin's parts. I mean, mm-hmm. it was labor intense. I mean, it was, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, uh, it was, it was a lot, but yeah. it was fine, you know. But okay. the record comes out. They had hired another guitar player from up here, and they used him in the video. And there was mm-hmm. because I declined touring their manager. I said, no way, you know. Even yeah. though I was doing what I was doing, but like they say, you know, you put two users in a room, one's always worse. Well. Yeah. they were worse <laughs> so oh boy. I was like no I'm not going to do that but the record yeah. comes out John what I'm saying is additional guitars real you know small print low okay. on the back okay. of the album Kevin Russell I, you know it okay. hit a hot button I was pissed I called up the leader of the band Ryan and I said hey and I said a few choice words to him and, mm-hmm. and additional guitars in addition to who to yeah who? right you know, you don't even know. You were so out of your mind. You don't even know that I did most of your parts too, bro. Right. And the cat right. was out of the bag. I wasn't supposed yeah. to say that, but I did. Well, and I just said, you know, and then that pissed me off. Then, yeah. then the the white snake thing. I got a special thanks because I was. Oh, is that it? Slip of the tongue. That was the name of that album. Yeah. yeah so, so you're you're on there, but they don't. I mean, you don't I, get much I, of I hear my on. parts on uh, Judgment Day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on the left side. The night is gone, the time has come To find a new day has begun And it promises to stay 
Okay, I got paid. I, I could have yeah, used the full okay. credit more than the pay, yeah. but it's okay, and okay. I'm I'm okay with that. And I go from that. And Clarence Clemens is living in the Bay Area. And Clarence, Ooh. I'm playing a gig at New George's. I joined Stu Blank and the Nasty Habits. Stu, rest his soul, a blues mm-hmm. guy, piano guy. Uh, I was mm-hmm. playing, doing my thing with somebody at this club. And in the dressing room after I was done in Marin here, mm-hmm. guy walks in with a leather jacket and slick back hair and walks in with a gruff voice and said, hey, rock star, I need a guitar player. I'm Stu Blank. I'm like, of the nasty habits? He goes, yeah. I go, really? You're a blues guy. He's like, yeah. Can you play some blues? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Call me. Kid gives me his number. I call. It was like a Wednesday. He said the gig's Friday. I go, should we get oh, together? No, nah, I'll see you there. I want to hear you play no. some blues. So I really? band, and I play some blues, and I'm in the band, so I'm making a living with Stu, playing bars all over the Bay Area, all over San Francisco, all over North Beach. Stu wow. showed me the city. He showed me the city, and I met all these club owners, and I'm playing with Stu. At the same time, I'm playing with Stu at this club in Marin again, and I see this big black dude walking across the dance floor holding hands with Kim Carnes and he walks because he was doing a record with Narda up here Kim Carnes and he uh-huh. walks up and I go and he looks at me stands right in front of me on the stage stage is kind of high and he uh-huh. goes I want you in my band and I go I go you're the big man you're Clarence he goes yeah and you're Kevin Russell and I said yeah he goes I want you in my band
No way. Okay. <laughs> First of all, yeah. is Clarence Clemens dating Kim Carnes? No, no. He was working on a record. Oh. They were just oh, okay. They were, they were after the studio because the studio wasn't far from where we were. Oh, they just I'm went out for a drink. I just thought. I mean, you know, no, no. A celeb- what strangest celebrity couple I've ever heard of. Okay. No, 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 okay. no. Clarence was married. You know, at time here. Okay. So I go, let's get together. Well, we became friends before we ever really did the Red Bank Rockers. That's okay. the truth. So what happens? Okay. I'm still playing with Stu, but when on my off nights, Clarence is picking me up at my place. And we go out around the room. We drive to the city. We go, and he's got his sax, mm-hmm. and I got my guitar in the gig bag. And we throw it in his. Uh, he's got a cool tricked out van at the time. And yeah. So we go sit in with everybody, and he go in, and of course they're going to ask Clarence to sit in. And he goes, you know, I want, I want my guitar player. I want my friend. I want my my buddy to play no with me way. too. So so we're vibing it up. I'm hanging out at his house here in Marin, and we're writing, and we're kind of. And then he gets called to do the Ringo, probably I think was Ringo's first all-star tour. Oh, probably. Yeah, okay. Right? Walsh is on that, Dr. Mm -hmm. John. Gets a great lineup. Mm -hmm. So he gets the call to do the thing with Ringo and wants me to put the band together. We we both selected, we both had input of who we wanted. He got who I got, who I wanted, a couple guys. He Mm -hmm. got who we wanted. And so I'm rehearsing the band in his absence. And then I go down and see the show and, and meet everybody. And he's introduced me as this, you know, musical director, guitar player. And he's mm-hmm. talking me up. And he always did. He was sweet, one of the sweetest guys I ever met. And we got on well, and I rehearsed the band for right. him and put it together. And we went out and toured. And then uh, it ended in 1990, I think. Okay. And I got clean and sober. There you go. Uh, right around this time, and I just said I need to stop all all of this in the touring. Mm-hmm. I just need to stop all of this, and uh, it's not working anymore. So my brother, who I got in, my younger brother Brad, bass extraordinaire. I got Brad in the in the second part of the Clarence tour, okay. the, the second tour, third tour, or something. I got Brad in, and then Brad was already living here. He was from Miami. I mean, he was uh, going. He was working in Miami. He was going to University of Miami. Brad moved here, uh, 1990. I separated. I moved. Brad and I moved into house together, and I got clean and sober. And we started the second version of the Russell Brothers. The first version was back in okay. Detroit many years ago. Okay. Brother, uh-huh. Drummer. Uh-huh. Brad. So we started Russell Brothers Trio, and that is the dawn of a new age for me and I'm sober. I went back to playing blues. Uh, MTV decided to, when, when Coverdale page record didn't do well, I said, yeah. Oh, we're in trouble. It's a Nirvana right. world. It's Pearl jam. It's, it's flannel and, and Seattle. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. Man. The right. Playing just gone to an all time low for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, so a lot of my, a lot of my hair buddies are freaking out. You know, I, yeah. I'm like, well, sure. I know what to do. Been here before. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go back. We're gonna put a blues trio together, Russell Brothers. And that makes sense. Blues doesn't it, go out of style, does it? Never, never. Yeah. My father always said, you know, every every town has a has a blues and or jazz venue. So yes, you'll work. So I did it. Uh, Stu Blank uh, had introduced me. I had played so many places with Stu. All I did was call out and come, Kevin Russell, guitar player. You know, I used to play with Stu Blank. I got the Russell Brothers trio and blah blah. blah. So we started working, and I got my brother and I working probably 18, 20 times a month. Think about mm. it. 
Nice. Playing clubs. Playing clubs. Yeah. Okay. So we worked hard for most of the 90s. In 93. Are you making an okay living by doing this? I mean, okay. I don't know what the life okay. is like. Okay. Enough I got you can two. Pay for your divorce. My, pay for your kids. Yeah, I'm going through for, divorce. I got my kids yeah. half the time. I, okay. I wanted to go to LA, but I, I, you know, I didn't want to leave mm-hmm. my kids. So yeah, I didn't want to be an absentee dad. And yeah. I was getting sober and straightening my life around. I just figured, uh, you know. But you know, the irony is, a couple tours came in early on. I got a call from David Lee Roth, I think, in 1990. Alice Cooper. And the truth of the matter is, I just. I, I it was so disheartening for me at the time. Mm-hmm. It was very confusing, and I was it was very scary. But I was I just couldn't see myself getting on a tour bus. I knew I'd be drunk yeah. in two weeks, sure. and I'd get fired anyway. You know, because Alice yeah. was sober for how many years? So I figured, yeah. and I had sponsors and stuff. You know, so anyway, mm-hmm. so I stick to what I'm doing. My old friend Mike Varney, who had Shrapnel Records, he had a subsidiary he started called Blues Bureau International, asked okay. me in 93 if I would consider producing a record that he was going to call Metal Sings the Blues. Oh. But it became it became L.A. Blues Authority, Volume 1. He okay. said, I, I know you're clean and sober, Kevin. I said, yeah, well, it wasn't 93, excuse me, it was 1991. So I got sober in the fall, right around this time of 90. So this came about. I was sober maybe four months, I think, mm-hmm. when Mike called me. Uh, mm-hmm. Mind you, uh, the honest truth is I hadn't been in a studio sober uh, since yeah. I could remember. I haven't recorded. Sure. So now so now he, I said, well, who's the lineup? Well, I got Zach Wilde. I got one-year-old pals, Steve Lugather. I got George Lynch. I got oh, the drummer from geez. Cinderella. I got James Kotak. I got Billy Sheehan. I got Stu Ham. I got Scott Travis from Judas Priest. I got the guys from White Lion. I got Richie Kotzen. I got the guys from Night Ranger playing guitar. It's going to be a blues thing. I got Kevin Dubrow. Rest his soul. Mm. Kev's going to sing. I got the Jeff Tilson. He goes, we're going to do it down at Sound. We're going to go to Sound City in LA, uh-huh. and we're going to do all the tracks there. And we're going to have uh, ten tracks. We're going to have uh, a bass player do two tracks. So we'll have five bass players each do two tracks. We'll have five drummers each, two, and then we have mm-hmm. ten different guitar players, including you. Oh and I'm thinking, okay, I'm up mm-hmm. for it, and the money's uh-huh. okay. And God, I sure need it. And man, it's a nice break out of the clubs. 
and yeah. it's a chance to work in L.A. again, right? And yeah, I'm big names, gonna, too. I'm going to feel good up, to be included with all these people. It had to be yeah. real good, and but there was a lot of bravado, a lot oh, of ego, I can imagine. Oh, I a lot think of chest pumping, a lot of hair <laughs> flicking, a lot of all of that oh, 80s thing, right? What a pissing contest that must have been. Oh, my Zach gosh. Was, Zach was full, full Zach at that time, yep. and I had my hands full. John, I, I had my hands full, man. And I, I got there was, you know, many times, uh, you know, I did some praying on my hands and knees that mm-hmm. I'd get me through this, that I'll be fine, and I don't want to drink, you know. I don't yeah, want to, you yeah. guys are all like, after, come on, Kev, come on, let's go to the yeah, rainbow. I found out the rainbow. You know, I, I, it was one of my haunts in the 80s. I yeah. mean, I, I held court there. And, jeez, uh, you know, I stayed with Jim Slim Jim. He lived right up the street. We were there, and he was buddies with, you know, I mean, his his – Slim Jim Phantom and sure. his ex-wife yeah. Britt Eklund was married to Lou Adler. Lou Adler owns that whole strip. So <laughs> we, were, I, I, I had you know free reign there. So they're yeah. telling me I'm 90, I'm sober now. And they're like, let's go to the Rainbow, and I, and I so want to go hang with these guys. Sure, you know they're buddies and they're really respecting me and the whole police thing. And I'm like, well, well, I didn't. And I did the record, and I, yeah. and I mean, I did some, and I finished some of it up here and. And uh, then I go back to playing clubs. Mm-hmm. 93, Mike asked me if I would be interested in producing a, a Rick Derringer record for him. There you go. And I go, I love Rick. Rick, yeah. I used to go see Rick. I go, man, I saw Johnny Winter and, dude, are you kidding me? I saw him with, with oh, Edgar I don't know, three times. I'm like, yeah. So yeah. I talked to Ricky on the phone, and he was so, so sweet to me. He didn't know me from Adam, man. I produced... Uh, Two records for Rick. Uh, and I play, and my brother played bass on both records. Played on the first record and played a little bit on the second record, but but they were blues records and Rick and I had some input and Rick and I spent a lot of time together, just he and I, and we shared some wonderful things. And then Mike asked me if I would do a couple of compilation records, one okay. to Albert King and a tribute mm-hmm. to Stevie Ray Vaughan, and that included Pat Travers and Leslie West, mm-hmm. and Steve mm-hmm. Hunter and Frank Marino, Rick. Just just uh, uh, an array of wonderful guitar players that I, sure. I really respected. And, uh, you know, it's pretty daunting. Well, you keep getting you invited. That's the thing that blows me away. I mean, you're, you're name-checking all these people. You're in the mix, you know? They're inviting invited. you. These names that people well, know, they're inviting yeah. you. They, they see you as an equal. Yeah. 
That's, that's well, amazing. And I, and I, I, yeah, and I, you know, and it's, it's humbling. And, and yeah, and I really appreciated that sure. uh, a lot at that time. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that, and I've said this, and I don't say this to be egotistical. I don't say it mm-hmm. to, to be a hotshot or anything else, but I say it as I believe it to be fact, John. And the fact of the mm-hmm. matter is I have a big network of players, yeah. and I've said this to other people before, but I've remained friends and, and, and acquaintances or, or, or uh, guitar slinging buddies, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to go through the whole list of guys that I talk – and a lot I talk to regularly, a lot who mm-hmm. get back to me right away. And I say, That's well, amazing. yeah – because you're a nice guy. I, I want to mm. think that I'm a, I'm a good guy, okay? Yeah. We get along. Yeah. But there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of mm. nice guys out there. Mm-hmm. Why do these mm-hmm. guys talk to you 20 years later, 30 mm-hmm. years later? Because they respect your playing. Yeah. They yeah. respect that's and, and that's the truth. I'm going to yeah. tell you right now. And And I know that. I knew it then as I know it. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of nice guys who can't play. Yeah. You know? And so why do I get invited to go to shows? And why do my buddies call me when they're in town? And we talk all Mm -hmm. the time. And and I know that. I know that that Ted texts me and emails me because, Mm -hmm. yeah, we go back. We got the Detroit Blood Brother thing. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I respect him. But he respects me as as a guitar player. And so does Lucather. And so does Dave Lamar. And so does Ricky Phillips. And so does Zach Wilde, you know. And I go and I respect them too, but that feels that nobody's ever going to take away from me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can take the spotlight away, you can take the record deal away, you can take the tour away. Yeah. But what I said to you an hour ago mm-hmm. is fundamentally, when I moved to Hollywood, I wanted to be a working musician, working and musician. I wanted to be the best I could be. I wanted to be yeah. a real guitar player, a well-rounded mm-hmm. musician, guitarist. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted. Everything yeah. else was a byproduct. Singing, right. I've been singing since I was a kid, writing songs, taking gigs, being a hired gun, uh, right. you know, wearing cool clothes, having a stylist, being a rock sure. star, all that's great. But at the end of the day, the most important thing to me is my musicianship. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's I go incredible. through the 90s, I'm playing, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, fast forward, and I go through, and I make a bunch of records, and I make some more 707 records you myself. Sure do. Yeah. I get asked to make do this, and I I use buddies, and I do it myself, and I license them out, and I get screwed, and I get screwed again and again, and you know it happens. But I took a shot, but yeah. I did make a nice thing with Rock Candy Records. Derek Oliver, there, he's a solid guy in the UK. The first three seven oh sevens remastered, repackaged. Mm-hmm. They do some bonus tracks, all new liner Killer. notes for him. They're great. That comes out. So are you basically? 9. Are you kind of the the lone original member of 707 that's keeping the torch alive right now? Because I I follow you guys on Facebook, and I noticed, I think it's next year. I just saw a post today, the new 707 in in 2007, or 2017, I mean. Yeah, and and I partnered up with Gary Moon. Gary Moon, who, who was who was in Night Ranger for longer than people realize, he was yeah. took Jack Blade's place for seven years or so, yeah, eight years, and he was also in Three Dog Night. He also took Chuck Nigron's place when Chuck got let okay. go for the last time. Same mm-hmm. plays bass. So yeah, me and Gary, and it's all UK Europe stuff. There's really nothing domestic 
you know, we're, we're going to do here. Well, I just talked to Gary for a long time today, so we're not really interested. I, I'm working on new management, and it's, okay. it's time. I, I've been asked, and um, I, I'm going to take back what's rightfully mine. I started mm-hmm. the band, and it's mine, and it's my legacy, yeah. and if okay. the Europeans and, 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 and the Brits want to support me and hear that, of course. So there's not enough combined. interest stateside in 707 yeah. to support not I don't enough. know. Can you play a county fair or something like that, or is it yeah? All maybe if we package up with somebody, a package, yeah. but not enough to pull. So okay. Gary and I are kind of like we're we're not interested in that. So yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, trying to, you don't want to we can we can do yeah because what we can do is Gary can do some of the stuff that he's known for, but I can also mm-hmm. do a fair amount of my material outside of Seven Hundred Seven, which is my sure. rock blue stuff. Which yeah. they know me from these releases that I've had over there with yeah. this other stuff on Blues Bureau. But, yeah. you know, and then in 2007, Jersey Boys comes knocking. My brother lives in New York <laughs> City for 10 years. Yeah. And he said they're looking for a guitar player. I get hired to do Jersey Boys. We start on Broadway. I, I'm, then I'm in San Francisco at the Korean Theater forever. And that's a total reading gig and on stage. And we were in mm-hmm. scenes. And I played every guitar note heard in that show. And it was a big, tall Killer. order. Yeah. And they paid well for it, but it was, you know, it was a, it was a hot seat. I played a lot of different guitars, a lot of, mm-hmm. lot of different stuff. But it was a great show, yeah. and I was proud to be part of it. And then I still make a living. I play uh, Kevin Russell band. I also have okay. my homage, my salute to Clapton. It's called mm. Prima Clapton, which I mm. actually started when Sammy was busy with Chicken Foot. The Wabos mm. were backing yeah. me up. First, about really? four years ago. Four years ago, yeah. No way. The Wabos are playing you, playing with you. Yes. Say where they were. Yeah, we Killer. were doing the Clapton thing. So I, it starts the obvious hits, Eric, and it moves into a big blues section, and then it ends with Creed. And I was asked by an agent friend of mine, "Would you ever consider doing a tribute thing?" And the tribute word kind of stuck in my throat, and I'm like, "Ah, uh, yeah, I don't." I just came off. You know, I just, I just came off one of the best tribute shows ever mm. uh jersey boy ah uh, what are you talking about like these yeah. pretend that you know he's person you know impersonating bad nah right right he, he goes uh well think about if you could do something so i go well i've kind of been doing some clapton stuff my brother and i always did a little bit of clapton a little bit of cream here and there and i'm like i thought cream of clapton so i that's how it went i called him up and i said cream of clapton he goes Tell me more. I love it. I go, yeah, but I have to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to do it. And what I'm mm-hmm. going to do, I'm not aping Eric. I'm going to all the love and respect for all those wonderful. Sure. It's the songbook that I'm yeah. doing. Right. And I'm going to put a band together and we'll do, and we'll, you know, we're not going to mess with the music, but we will move it here and there where we need to. So, yeah. um, and that's how it went. And I put it wow. strictly together for casinos and people love it. And the part about it is I agreed to do it in the beginning, John, because it has a big blues section, and I'm a huge sure. Freddie King fan. In fact, I did a tribute record to Freddie about four That's right. I saw that on, on, right. on Spotify. And Eric, right. Yes, and Eric was a huge Freddie King. So I'm like, what well, is a no Yeah. Because yeah. I already did the cream stuff, but it's a big blues section. So as long as I can play my blues, mm-hmm. I'm good. So that I have some shows, the Kevin Russell band. I freelance when it, when it's right. People ask me to do stuff. Uh, okay. And other than that, I you're you got a busy life. I, I mean, it may not have been what you thought it would be 
1979, but yeah. at least you're doing what you want to do, and you can pay your bills doing it, right? Yeah. So I have I I am blessed that I yeah play my guitar and get paid to do it, and yeah. uh, not sometimes better than others, but yeah, um, I, I am asked to do it, and I am uh, uh, respected for that, and I yeah. I think it's uh it's a good. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me then at mm-hmm. 62 if I'd still be playing, like, rock rock blues guitar, being a rocker and getting uh-huh. paid playing, I'd be like, uh, what? Yeah. I'd be yeah. like, what? Either I'm retired right. and I'm wealthy somewhere living on an exactly. island. Exactly. I don't yeah. know, you know. I got I, you platinum know, records everywhere. Kid, yeah. Yeah, as a kid, yeah, all that crap you think about. Well, well, but, you know, that's just so old when you're in your 20s, early 30s, 60s. Yeah. Oh, my God. So yeah. uh, I'm blessed in that way. I know Good. that there's been a path, and it's, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I, I have a lot of uh, – you know, I'm a very tenacious guy, man. And yeah, so I can tell. I've, I've I can tell. Cool. Persevered in this business. Yeah. So. Well, I got a couple questions. A couple last questions for you. Now, number sure. one, the the listener who requested you specifically to come on the show, his uh-huh. name, I think his name is Jens. He's, I believe, he's Scandinavian, and I okay. and I think they pronounce it J E N S. I think it's pronounced Jens. Okay. He or Jens or so. Anyway, he specifically wanted me to ask you. Okay. What it was like working with Peter Chris, and how did you get connected with Kiss? And I'm oh, guessing this is the Casablanca that. Records. Um, no, I had nothing to do with it. Although, really, okay, about, so tell me a knew, good Kiss story. About, yeah, no, Peter knew about Chris Gola. He knew about um, the band, but we had never met. I got a call. Guys, I think I was just getting done on that White Snake thing. Eighty-eight. Oh, interesting. Okay, I get a call. Kevin Russell there, and I go, yo, the New York accent, you know. Hey, Kevin, this is uh, Peter Chris. I I used to play drums in the rock group Kiss. And I'm like, <laughs> I go, I know who yeah. you are, bro. I, I know. You are. How you doing, <laughs> Peter? He's like, yeah, Mark Slaughter put us in touch. That's who did. Oh, and, interesting. There you and, go. Interesting. And Mark's forgotten about that. But I, I remember I told him, I go, dude, you're the one who told Peter. So Peter said, can I fly up and can we meet? So we met. And then I mm-hmm. went down to, he was living in Redondo Beach at the time. And I went down and we wrote a bunch of songs. And I got Dave Amato involved, as a matter of fact, and a bass player. And so, uh, you know, there was four Italians. And uh, mm-hmm. here, we, here we were. And it just sort of didn't really happen. I don't know what, I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Clarence thing happened. That's what it was. I'm oh, okay. Trying, okay. trying to get the timeline. So like, you guys well, were going to be in a band and like called the Keep. Put out music. Yeah, no. The Keep. That's what I read. Okay. You're the Keep. So we actually did some little stuff in L.A. I had a go with the Clarence thing. It felt better all around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just felt better for me. And through Clarence, that's how I got to play on Nils Lofgren's record. That's how I got to play Overland on Helm. Okay. Levon, do some recording with Levon. Do a couple of little, little things around okay. LA with Levon. Uh, I got to jam and play with Walsh a few times. Uh, uh, so he, his name comes up here on here a lot. He sounds yeah, like a really love, great guy. Love Joe, and he, you yeah. know, he's been sober, and it was unfortunately neither one of us were back in the day. So the playing was kind of it, the mm-hmm. moments weren't as cherished as they could have been. Yeah, yeah. but. 
uh, it just felt better for me. And the boss, boss came and sat in frequently. Mm. So wow. um, that was always a coup. So, yeah. uh, you know, it was felt better for me. But Peter Good. and I got on really well. And I really liked him a lot, and we had a lot of fun together. He's a good Good. Guy. Good. Oh, I'm glad. Okay, last question. I got to know, okay. when you sit back and you're on your porch swing and you're just thinking about 40 years in the music industry, uh-huh. I mean, you've met a ton of heroes. You've met a, worked with a lot of famous people. You've had a, an amazing life. What is the greatest, craziest most mind-blowing, tastiest memory that you have over this whole thing? Is it the first time you heard yourself on the radio? Was it meeting somebody famous? Was it uh, anything, um, party with some guy? What, was, what is that thing? Well, there, there's, well, I don't know that there's any one. I okay. think there's one in, in, in all of those categories. How's that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I've been to <laughs> probably, a lot of parties. Sure. Played with a lot of people, been on a lot of stages. And you know, uh, whatever the other, what's the category? You said party and radio. So yeah, I was just yeah. listening to myself on the radio with Derringer just the other day on XM Bluesville. So I'm like, no wow, way. that's funny. I was going, oh, oh, my solo comes up next. Oh, and I was laughing to myself, going, okay. You know, now I think of where's my mailbox money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> today, I go, that's nice. That, that's nice. My quarter's coming up in December. I was going to say you're going to get a check for twelve. We see who I have to track that any day now. Yeah. yeah. So that. Right. So that. But the first time that I heard "Good for You" on the radio, yes, I think that I. Well, I, I cried, of course. Yeah. And really. I just. Good. Yeah. That was. That was. That was just. That was a. An oh my god moment. Yeah. Oh my god. Sure. Um, when my mom hears this, or my dad, yeah. when my guitar teacher Joe Podorsic hears this. Um, oh my God, Amazing. he's going to be so proud of me. And Amazing. that's what I thought. I didn't think of, you know, uh, hot shot, you know, now mm-hmm. I mean, I can go shove it in everybody's face in Detroit. Now. Right. It's kind of like, I felt family and my guitar teacher and my brothers. That's, that's kind of how I felt. Right. Uh, I was right. proud, proud moment. Um, I think the time that the first time I played with Bruce and he turned to me, and came over to me and put his arm on my shoulder and put his head up next to mine and said in my ear, and he, I don't know the exact phrase, but he said, you're a whale of a player or something to me. And I, said, and I grabbed him back and I said, yeah, well then let me in the E Street Band. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Give me and a job, laughed. boss. Said, hey, you know, I love Nils, but let me in the E Street Band, will you? Yes. Yeah, Van Zandt's not around. It's so right. And and uh, and I think there's another moment I'll tell you about the Blackmore moment I promised you before we go. So we're playing uh-huh. at uh, I want to say where the Royals play, wherever the baseball team. I forget. Oh, 1980. is it? Um, yeah. Oh, I want to say Bush State. Uh, no, I somewhere think that's I, I get them mixed Louis. up. Okay. Yeah, I get yeah St. Louis. And so it's a hot, hot summer, I don't know, July, August, whatever, afternoon, blazing, mm-hmm. and it's festival seating, right? So now mm-hmm. these kids, the, the doors open at, I don't know, 9 or whatever. So now that whole field is packed by the time we go on at noon or 1230. Packed. Yeah, yeah. And, and bands and, and headline groups all day long until, 
I think Ario was headlining that night. And okay. then sometimes it was Nuge. It was either Nugent or Ario. They they switched off. Okay. But then there was a bunch of bands. Scorpions. Everybody was sandwiched in. Killer. The beginnings of Monsters of Rock. It was the beginning of yeah. what they would call that then. They didn't call it that then, but they, Super right. Jam or something they called it. Something, yeah. Whatever. So I'm playing. It's the second day. Richie's guitar tech, English dude, real gruff dude, comes up after my set and says, mate, Richie wants to have a quick word with you on a Heineken. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, and I know that he notoriously doesn't like anybody at that mm-hmm. time. Everybody's, all the word was stay out of Richie's way. Blah, blah, yeah. You know, it's Prince of Darkness. All, all this mm-hmm. crap. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, man, he's Blackmore, man. I'm like, you know, shit, he's Blackmore. Yeah. Got him, you. I, mean, I, I dug the guy from the get-go. I'm like, so I go back and there he is, all dressed in black. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's blazing out. It's got to be 100 degrees. He's all dressed in black. And I walk in, and as Rody said, yes, this is the mate from 707, and Kevin. He said, I'm Richie. I, go, I know who you are. And he said, uh, Heineken, and grab, and he clinked bottles, and he said, uh, I only got a couple minutes because he was going to go on. He had a straddle. He had a white strat on. And he said, uh, first time I heard your song, mate, was in a disco tech in Paris. No. Great song. I could be good for you. Great, great guitar work. And he said, I really like your playing. And I, I I was dumbfounded. I said, sure. I don't know what I said. I go, really? He <laughs> said, yeah, man. He goes, where are you from? I said, Detroit. He goes, well, that, that, that answers that. He goes, oh, okay. yeah. He's like, that answers that. All right. And he said, uh, keep up the good work, mate. I got to go to work now. And, uh, and I met I hit Joey Lynn Turner and we're still buddies to this day. Oh, Carmine great. He's playing drums, a piece with Nuge. We're still friends to this day. Guys I met on that tour, not Richie, but uh, uh-huh. uh, Bobby Rondinelli, Rainbow's drummer. Guys yes. that I met, especially Joey Lynn Turner, we're still buddies to this day. And, and, and going back to what I said earlier about there's a lot of nice guys, but there's a respect thing that, that's mutual. Sure. And sure. these guys, you know, and, and, and yeah. for that. But that's a proud moment. And that's after great. that, I walked on air all the way back to my dressing room, is way across the backfield, and yeah. I said, if nobody ever says shit to me again, right. fucking Richie Blackmore said <laughs> that he dug my guitar playing and he really dug my song. Oh, uh, you my, get a lifetime of fuel out of that, right? Out of that. I'm like, yeah. Richie doesn't, well, who the hell was he talked to? I don't know. I mean, all I heard was horror stories, but he was sure nice to me, and that's oh, all that's I know. amazing. That's it's amazing. amazing. It's amazing shit, bro. And here yeah. I'm 26, 27 years old. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> what a life, man. What a life. Who knew when I when I was in store for when I reached out to Kevin Russell? Thanks so much for sharing these stories with me, well, man. I love it. There you have it, Kevin Russell. I love that guy. I love the appreciation and the reverence he had. For his fellow rock compatriots, I loved that he would that he was proud that they were buddies, or that he was respectful if they had passed on. He seems to just have a huge appreciation for what he's done and who he knows and the world that he inhabits. I loved it. I love talking to Kevin. He was so entertaining. Thank you, gents, by the way, for the recommendation. I love this guy. Uh, and you know, it was good to talk rock. Honestly, I don't seek out rock the heavier rock guys very often 
because I feel like there's already a bunch of podcasts that kind of tread on that same ground. And so I figure, you know, what can I add to the conversation that somebody else hasn't already done? But this was a winner. Thank you, Jensen. Thank you, Kevin. I want to close out with maybe my favorite 707 song. It's called Same Way Out, and it's off one of their Latter-day albums. It's called The Fourth Decade. came out in 2006. It just rips. I love, 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 love this song. So if you're not that familiar with 707 or all you know are the hits, uh, check out everything else. There's a lot of rockin', really good, melodic rock stuff in there. If this is your first time joining us, come back next week. We are going to be talking to another, dare I say, legend of Detroit rock. He's a, he was a member of one of the most successful bands to have come out of that area over the last 40 years. Songs that you know by heart that are uh, evergreen to this day. I really hope you'll come back and hear that one too. It's a fun one. Also, uh, please write us a review or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever podcasts, podcatcher you use. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can send me a, a, a message if there's somebody you'd like me to kind of track down for you. I can try and find them. Um, anyone who you love that you don't hear from often enough, we'll see if we can find those guys and hear their stories. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, which I barely use, at The Hustle Pod. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for putting this together. There was a lot of music in this one, and uh, I appreciate all the hard work he puts in. Folks, we're going to be back next Tuesday. I really hope you'll come back. It's a great guest. We'll talk to you all later. <laughs>